and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We, it's been a few weeks now, but we've been looking at the life of David, David the king. And we saw what a wonderful man this David was that God had chosen him to be king because the first king, literally the first king in Israel, Saul, was no longer a good king. And he had, he had quit following God and, and obeying God. And God chose David, and then David was chosen by God, but there's a long period of time between his anointing by the prophet Samuel and when he finally sits on the throne. And we sort of covered that early stage of his life, that early stage of his life before he actually is sitting on the throne. When during that time, it's during that time that um, he fights the giant Goliath. And that's probably the most famous story that everybody knows about David. If you know nothing else, you know about David and Goliath. And, and then there's this long period where Saul pursues him out of jealousy, and David never raises a hand against Saul, and just trusts God to take care of him. And God does. God takes care of David, and eventually Saul dies, and then David is put on the throne. And he's the wonderful king. He is an absolutely wonderful king. God chose him because he wanted a man after his own heart, and that's what David was. It's what he was before he actually got on the throne, and then when he begins to reign, he cares about the things of God. He cares about getting the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel and into Jerusalem because although this is a really important thing, it's just been with some folks that didn't know anything about it or care anything about it. And he goes about doing all these things that God would have him to do. And he's this wonderful king, but even the most wonderful of people, even the wonderful King David, makes a huge, huge mistake. He does a terrible thing, an absolutely terrible thing. And, and that event may be the story that is most known about David next to Goliath, and that's David and Bathsheba. And we're going to read about that tonight, and even if you've heard about David and Bathsheba, you may not know all the detail of what transpired there. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's where we'll pick it up, and we're going to pick it up here again. David is already the king, and he's there in the, the palace when one day, verse 2, and it came to pass at eventide that David arose from off of his bed and walked up on the roof of the king's house. Now, that wasn't unusual. Um, roofs were used as kind of an outdoor 
like we would a patio, just outdoor living space. They were flat roofs, you know, it's not like some mm -hmm. steep pitch. Flat roof, and so he's out there, and he's, as he's out there, continuing, it says, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So there's David, you know, just kind of minding his own business, and, and he looks off the roof, and there's this woman who's taking a bath somewhere where he can see her. And she is beautiful. She is beautiful, and that starts all the trouble. And David sent, verse 3, and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, that last phrase is where things get bad, okay? The fact that David saw Bathsheba, if she had not been a married woman, that would not be a big deal. David had more than one wife, and there was not a problem with that back then. Um, but she was already married. She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her own house. So, you know, he has her for dinner, and then some. And, you know, this is, he doesn't care. He doesn't care that she's married, that he has no right to do this. He just thinks she is beautiful, and he wants her, and that's that. Verse 5, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. So, you know, this is not any longer just a discreet affair. Now she's pregnant. She's pregnant with his son. And David sent to Joab. Joab is the guy who's kind of the general over the army. Saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Uriah is a soldier. And he calls him a valiant man. He was a great soldier, a courageous soldier. And here he is faithfully serving in the king's army, and David has him brought to him. And when David was come unto him, and when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. He's just kind of trying to make small talk here. He's just acting like, you know, I just wanted to hear how things are going on the front, but all this is just a pretense to having gotten Uriah back in town, thinking that he can cover this up. You know, he's made the big mistake, and now he's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to cover up somehow, and he thinks, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just have Uriah home on leave, and then he's home on leave, you know, he'll go to the wife, and nobody will be the wiser. But it doesn't play out that way. Verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. In other words, refresh yourself, meaning refresh yourself. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. He's, you know, getting a nice dinner for him, you know, probably sent some candles for him to light, maybe some musicians out the window. He's trying to do everything he can to set this up to make it so that Uriah gets together with Bathsheba. But Uriah did what? Slept, Slept at the door. Uriah didn't even go inside. 
Uriah slept at the door of his house. Why? We'll see. And went not with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. He didn't go in. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? You're home on leave. What's wrong with you? Why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go enjoy a meal? Why didn't you go spend some time with your wife? Why didn't you do that? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Uriah is such a great guy. He is such a great guy. The reason why he doesn't do it is he's saying, I, I just feel that'd be wrong. I, I wouldn't feel right about this. Here it is. All the other soldiers, they're in the camp. Everybody's fighting. Everybody's suffering hardship. And it just wouldn't be right for me to go and, and go to my home and, and lie with my wife and when everybody else is, is giving such sacrifice. And David said to Uriah, Terry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. Well, okay, all right, so you don't want to do that, so fine. Well, just hang out another day with me, okay? Let's just spend another day together. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. So David's not going to let go of this this easy. He's, he's by hook or by crook, is trying to figure out a way to get Uriah together with his wife. Verse 13, and when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him what? Drunk. drunk. So he's going to try to get him drunk, figuring if I can get this guy drunk, then he'll forget all about his you know, high morals and his good intentions, his noble, and he'll, just, he'll be drunk, and then that'll take care of things. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Even this doesn't get Uriah to, to break what he considers to be an ethical matter. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Wow. Wait till you see what's in this letter that he sends by Uriah's hand. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. He is carrying a letter with his own death sentence in it. He tells Joab, put Uriah on the front lines. Put him on the front lines. And when the battle's really thick, you get him right there, and then you all kind of back up a bit and let him get killed. He's willing to, in effect, commit murder to, kill, to cover up this sin of having lied with Bathsheba and having a child. You know, that's where David is, it's bad enough, don't get me wrong, it's bad enough that he had the adulterous affair, but to try to cover it up by killing this innocent man, this, this man who's serving in the army, that is just as bad as it could be. 
And it came to pass, verse 16, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that valiant men were, where the most courageous fighters were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So David's plan works. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou, when thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, you're going to go, you know, to be debrief, you're going to give them the record of what's been going on in the war. And after you've told them just how things are going, verse 20, if it be so that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city when you did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? How could you be so foolish in the way that you carried out this campaign? Didn't you know that they'd be able to just pick you guys off from the wall? Verse 21. Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of the millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? You should know better. We've had this kind of situation before. We had a great guy who some woman just threw a rock off of the wall and she was able to kill him that way. How could you be so foolish? Why did you go near the wall? Then say unto him, Oh, by the way, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Job had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us in the, into the field. And we were upon them even unto the evening, into, unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters, the archers, shot from off the wall upon thy servants. And some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle one more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage him, thou him. He's saying, Don't you just tell Joab, Well, you know, men die in battles. It's just, it happens. No big thing, you know. And David's just rationalizing. He's rationalizing. You know, he got killed, but he could have gotten killed in any battle. People get killed all the time. But it didn't make it any more right, did it? And when the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bear him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased who? The Lord. the Lord. You know, David thought he got away with it. He thought that his plan worked. He, he first tried to entice Uriah, but when that didn't work, he had him killed, and nobody was going to say anything against David. Joab wasn't going to say anything. This is the king. Nobody's going to speak up. And as far as the rest of the people went, David thought he had it all covered. Nobody knew. They knew that Uriah had come home. They didn't necessarily knew he didn't go into his wife. So he thought he had it all covered, but he wasn't fooling God, and God was not happy about this one at all. Chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Nathan's the prophet. He's the man of God. And he sends Nathan to go and have a talk with David. And he came unto him and said unto him, 
There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. This is a story that, that Nathan doesn't just make up on his own. God gives him these words to say. And you know, this is interesting from a couple of different standpoints. One, first of all, as a lot of people are aware, if Nathan had gone in and just called David on the carpet and said, I, God told me what you did, this is terrible, you know, then David might have turned on him and had his head for it. Because David was the king, and the king could have the prophet's head if he wanted to. So, in telling Nathan to go and approach David in this manner, yes, first of all, he's taking care of Nathan. But there's another side to this, another side to this, and I'll point out as we read it. He tells them there's two guys, a rich one and a poor man. The rich man, verse 2, had exceeding many flocks and herds. He's got lots of sheep, lots of herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. He just has this one little lamb, just this one little lamb that he loves, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. This was, this was their pet. This is like, you know, if you got a you know, dog that you love, picture your dog, you know. This is what that lamb was to them. It was, they loved it. They loved it. That's the story he's going to tell David. Now, what did David do before he became king? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. David loved the sheep. He was a shepherd. He was a good one. He was such a good one that one day a lion came to get one of his sheep and he killed that lion. And another day a bear came and he killed that bear. He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands to protect them, to save those sheep. So David, this is a tender part of his heart still. And he might have hardened his heart against a lot of things, but this is that one area of his heart that is still very tender. And that's what God tells Nathan to tell him to get through to his heart. Verse 4. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock. This traveler comes to that guy with just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of sheep, but he won't take one of those. And of his own herd to dress it for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man was, that was to come to him. He goes and takes that little lamb, that pet, and he slaughters it and puts it on the table rather than one of his hundreds of sheep. That's the story. Verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled at the man. When David hears this story, he is mad. He is just as mad as mad can be. He is hot. And he's just, and he says to, he says to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. You get that guy, bring him here, he's, gonna, he's, he's a dead man. You bring him in here, he is a dead man for doing that. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, I guess before he's dead, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You're the guy. You're the one that did this. You're the one that did this, except it wasn't just a lamb. It was one of God's people. 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, if that wasn't enough, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I gave you everything that you could think of. If that wasn't enough, I would have given you anything else that you wanted. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with the wives in the sight of the sun. For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Now when David hears this, and here is the, the critical point in David's life, it's a critical point because he's just been confronted. He's just been reproved strongly because he has done something horribly wrong. But it reminds you, if you know the record, of the king before him, Saul. And Saul had disobeyed God terribly, and God sent a different prophet, Samuel, to Saul. And he confronted Saul, and when Saul was confronted, you know what he did? He made all kinds of excuses. He just made all kinds of excuses and never got around to really being sorry. He never got around to being sorry. David doesn't make that same mistake. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. He recognizes the sin. He admits it. You know, it says in 1 John that if any man sins, you know, that we all sin, we all make mistakes, but if we sin, then we go to God and we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says if anybody says they don't sin, they're a liar. You know, what David did was terribly wrong, and there are, there are consequences that he will pay for that. But God is willing to forgive to the uttermost. No matter what, you can never sin so badly, you can never blow it in life so badly, you can never do anything that no matter how terrible you may think it is or how terrible it is, that God is not willing to forgive. That's our God. He is always willing to forgive. Always. And the record of David that we're reading is, is just one of the greatest examples because what David did, there's no diminishing that. It's as bad as an act as anyone could ever commit. And yet God forgives David because David confesses that sin and is sorry. And then David, after this, he goes back to being a man after God's own heart. He lives for God, and he moves beyond it, and he, you know, lives a life doing great things. But 
God is willing to forgive. Verse 14. No, rest of verse 13. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. David had pronounced his own death sentence when he said, That man will surely die. And that would have been the consequence of it if David had not been sorry. Verse 14. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto the house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of the house arose and went to him, to raise him up from the earth, for he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him that he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him the child's dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. And he goes on telling about this. You know, when it says that the Lord did this, it's not that the Lord did that, it's that the laws that God set in the universe, that's what ha- why it happened. There are spiritual laws just as there are natural laws, and there are consequences when you break spiritual laws, and, and these were the consequences that happened in that situation. I'd like to go to Psalm 51, though. This psalm, and we've done this with some of the other records, events in David's life, We've looked at the Psalms that were written at the time of the actions. Psalm 51 is the Psalm that David wrote at the time that he was confronted, at the time that he recognized the sin that he had committed. And it's a Psalm that he, where he is praying unto God. In verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. This whole psalm, he's, is, he's confessing his sin. We'll skip down, though, to verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean spirit, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because that that could have happened. Saul, when he sinned, he lost Holy Spirit. David could have, but God stayed with him, and he kept the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. 
Deliver me from blood guiltiness. He knew he was guilty of someone's blood, that that blood was on his hands. And this is what he prays for God to forgive him for. And God does forgive him, and God does, you know, work with David, and David continues to do great things. God's mercy is so great that it is Bathsheba who eventually has another son named Solomon. And Solomon, as you probably recognize the name, is the one who sits on the throne after David dies. Solomon is the next king. And that's the magnitude of God's grace and mercy, that here the son of Solomon is the one chosen to be the king. One other place I want you to look, though, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We won't read the whole thing. I just want to point out a couple of people that are named in the ancestry of David, of, of Jesus Christ. And it takes it through David's line. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 5, we'll pick it up going a little bit before David. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, or um, Rahab is the way it's spelled and pronounced in the Old Testament. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. We know of both of these people. And Obed begat Jesse. <coughs> and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. <coughs> It shows the mercy of God that from this marriage of David and Bathsheba, you have Solomon, but it also shows who's mentioned. It's not Bathsheba's name. Whose name is it? Uriah. Uriah, Uriah is the one that's recognized, rightly so. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind. 